following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Well, there's a, there's a quote that's often attributed to Mahatma Gandhi. Uh, it's actually a misquote of Gandhi, but I'm going to share it with you this morning. He said, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Well, this actual, the actual quote comes from a friend of the family's. Uh, his name we only know as Baradada, a friend of, yeah, of Gandhi's family. And he actually said it this way. He says, Jesus is ideal and wonderful, but you Christians are not like him. Both quotes are making the same point. Christians are not always such a great example of the reality of God. And ever since I've become a Christian, I've struggled with this area. So I, I also used to be an atheist. Um, I was raised without Christianity or church in general in my culture. So I'm from the Pacific Northwest of the United States, the Portland, Oregon area. And that area is a lot more secular um, than what a lot of people think of. A lot of people think of America as the Bible Belt, so the Southern United States, where there's a lot of Christianity and there's a, a lot of Christian influence. But I grew up in an area without a lot of Christian influence. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't have church in my life growing up, um, and I didn't have a culture that had a lot of Christianity in it or influence. In fact, people didn't even really talk about Christianity. Religion was very private where I grew up. They wouldn't have been considered polite to bring it up. But I was raised with a sense of awe and wonder at the natural beauty of the area in which I live, because Oregon is very, has a lot of natural beauty, much like New Zealand. Um, I was raised with awe and wonder at that. I was also raised with a sense of wonder at what humans could do in the arts and sciences. And over the years, those areas very much impacted me. Uh, So much so that I believe that awe and wonder made me more receptive to discovering what was behind all of this. Well, in my high school years, I had a music teacher who was a Christian who had never shared his faith with anyone. He had never talked to anybody about Jesus, but he had a huge burden for me. He told me later on that he was losing sleep over me. <laughs> and he said, uh, he, he uh, actually got me a, a Bible, my very first Bible. And my senior year of high school before I graduated, he said to me, Mary Jo, when you go off to college, or university, (laughs) when you go off to university, you're going to have questions, hard questions. And he handed me a Bible and he said, I hope you'll turn to this. And I apparently said something like, oh, thanks. (laughs) See, I hadn't been raised in church, so I was like, oh, Bible, (laughs) great. He actually was a little, he told me later on, we, we stay in contact, he told me he was a little concerned I might turn him in because he could have lost his job for doing that. So uh, I wouldn't have done that, but my reaction wasn't real great. But I began to read that Bible, and what, I wasn't sure what I was going to find in there, but what I did find was very different from what I thought about Christianity, because all I knew of Christianity was what I would see on television and in the movies, So the Bible was very different from what I thought it was going to be. And I also started to find um, the source. In that Bible, I started to find the source of all that beauty and intelligence that I was seeing in the world. Uh, 
So then when I went off to the university, I actually began to go to church on my own for the first time, which is kind of opposite. We're always worried that students, kids go off to the university and they lose their faith. I was going off to the university to find faith. And I went to several different churches and I landed in one where I heard the message of the gospel. I, I heard Jesus as Savior and I understood why I needed a Savior and all of the pieces started coming together and I ended up trusting Jesus as my Lord. But then I discovered the church. <laughs> she's not always so wonderful. <laughs> In fact, she's got some serious problems. And I didn't know this coming into Christianity. I, I often say I wish there had been some kind of disclaimer as I was coming into church. Like in the bulletin at the you know, like fine print or something, a little disclaimer that said something like this. Church attendance may cause extreme discomfort. <laughs> Side effects include, but are not limited to, hurt, doubt. <laughs> there were so many times I asked hard questions about God only to have the issue skirted. There were so many times I saw an opportunity for redemption only to see that opportunity crushed under the weight of human pride. And I began to see patterns of behaviors in believers in the church, um, behaviors that were contrary to basic Christian beliefs, things that were ugly and mean. I just experienced so much that didn't reflect the reality of God. And that created a pattern of distrust in me, first with my fellow Christians, but then with Christianity. And I began to doubt what I believed about God. What was it that I did? What was that experience I had? How do I know any of this is true? It seemed like the people I'd surrounded myself with didn't really care much about thinking through what they believed or why they thought it was true. And then they didn't even seem to be demonstrating much of what they believed was true. Well, I eventually began to understand that just because people don't live like Christianity is true doesn't mean that it isn't true. And that was part of what I discovered when I started answering my doubts when I got into this field called apologetics. But I noticed that a lot of people are walking away not because they found Christianity to be untrue, not because they didn't get those answers, but because of their experience with other believers. So what I want to explore with you this morning is that the reality of God should be reflected in our own lives. And we're going to look at a few of the characteristics that should reflect God. So three that we're going to look at is being thoughtful, being engaged, and being trusting. So let's look at the first characteristic, be thoughtful. Christians are called to be thoughtful. And what we're going we're to use the passage from 1 Peter 3. So if you'd like to follow that, we're going to look at 1 Peter 3 if you have a Bible. Peter's kind of towards the back. I remember when I became a Christian, I was new, and pastor would say, like, all right, turn to whatever. And I was like, uh, <laughs> where is that? Don't be ashamed to use the index, folks. <laughs> use that index. It's near the back. So 1 Peter 3. We're going to pick up in about, uh, well, in verse 3. Or 3, no, I'm sorry, verse 13. Chapter 3. So let me read a bit of this, and then we're going to start breaking this apart. 
Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. All right, let's look at this a little bit. Let's set this in context. Who is Peter talking to? Well, it's obviously a group of people that are persecuted in some sense. They're fearful. There's different ideas on what this persecution is. Uh, some people think it's the persecution of Nero. Other people aren't sure. And so, but no matter what, these Christians feel intimidated. They feel oppressed. They feel uh, fearful of sharing their faith. So Peter's talking to them. And in this passage, he says, always be prepared to give a defense of the reason of your hope. That word, by the way, the defense that's in there, if we were to be reading in Greek, it would be the word apologia. That's the word where we get apologetics. So always be prepared to make a case or give reasons for why you have hope in Jesus. So to make this case a defense. But Peter tells this group of Christians to be ready to make this defense, which means he wants them to prepare themselves by thinking through an actual case for why they have hope in Jesus. In order to make a case, they have to do serious thinking on the matter. He's calling us into a lifestyle of thoughtfulness about our own beliefs, of thoughtfulness when he says, always be prepared. We're supposed to always be prepared, constantly be engaging with what we believe and why we believe it. Know what Peter did not say here. He didn't say, always be prepared to repeat someone else's mantra when you're asked for the reason of your hope. He didn't say that. Rather, he makes this statement personal to each one of us as Christians to think through a defense of their own beliefs. And Peter's not the only example. There's also Paul. So I'm going to pull from some of Paul here. In 1 Thessalonians 5.21, Paul tells us, test everything, hold on to what is good. So what is he talking about? Well, in this section, talking to the church at Thessalonica, he gives a quick list of encouragements and admonitions to this church, which he does with a lot of his churches that he's overseeing and caring for. But in this particular part, he's commenting on those who prophesy. So apparently there are people in the church that were giving prophecies. And Paul says that you're to test what they say. Test what you're being told and hold on to what's good. So though he's handling a specific situation with those who are prophesying, again, note what cannot be said about the Christian teaching. Paul didn't say to blindly accept something just because it comes from a trusted source or a religious authority. Right? He didn't say that. Rather, he strictly advises Christians to check out any prophecy that had been stated and to hold on what was, to what was good. And Paul doesn't even exempt his own teaching from this standard. If you look into Acts 17, Paul is preaching throughout the area and he comes across a group called the Bereans. They're in Berea. And he says about them, 
They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. That's Acts 17, 11. So Paul is saying, they received, what are they receiving? Paul's own teaching. And he's praising them because they're checking him out. They're checking what he's teaching out. Right? So he doesn't even exempt himself from this standard. And we know that we are to be people who care about the truth. We see Jesus talking to Pilate in John 18. And when Pilate asks him, are you a king? Jesus' response in a nutshell is yes, he's the king of truth. Because his people are the people of truth. Right? They're those who hear his voice and obey him. We're supposed to be the people who seek truth. And really, none of this should surprise us. Because we believe in God, who's the creator of all things. And that means he's also the creator of thought. He's the creator of thought. We've been made in his own image. And part of that being made in his own image is he gave us the ability to reason. He gave us rationality. He gave it to us so that we could use it for good. And the ultimate good would be to know God. Right? That's the ultimate good that we can do with our rationality. So God actually calls us into reasoning with him, to being thoughtful. Isaiah 1.18 actually says, Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. He's calling the sinners to come and reason with him. We're called to be thoughtful. So the reality of God should be reflected in our own lives by being thoughtful, but also by being engaged with others. So Christians are called to be those who engage with others. Going back to 1 Peter 3, Peter says in um, 15, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you. Right? He says we're to be ready to give this reason to anyone who asks us. We're supposed to be willing to engage with those in our society about the reasoning we have for belief in Jesus. Peter says this. Remember who he's talking to. He's not talking to a group where it's really culturally Christian, right? He's talking to a group of Christians that somehow feel persecuted. They're intimidated about this, about engaging with others. And he says that you're to be ready to engage with them. In fact, they feel so intimidated that he actually has to say... Back up into verse 13, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what's good? If you're zealous for communicating this message, who is there to harm you? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, even if you should suffer for talking about what's good and true, you will be blessed. And he says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, right? but in your hearts honor the Christ the Lord as holy. So he says, don't be fearful of them. Rather, turn your focus towards always being ready to offer that thoughtful answer. Being ready to get into a conversation with those who do not understand your view or with those who disagree with you. Then he says, but do this with gentleness and respect in verse 15. Why? Why is this so important? Peter actually tells you. Peter says, so that, oh, well, verse 16, back up just a little bit. Having a good conscience, 
right? You do this with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience means knowing that you've treated others the way you want to be treated, right? That you have lived in a manner that is good and beautiful. So having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, going on, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So what is he saying here? First of all, if you suffer for doing what's wrong, we kind of get that, right? That's, that's the consequence of doing evil. We're going to suffer. There are consequences when we don't do what's good. But then he says, for it's better to suffer for doing, for doing good, if that be God's will. Well, that's a whole nother game, isn't it? Right? And if you're a video, if you like to play video games, you, call that, you can call that leveling up. Only that's way leveling up. <laughs> to suffer for what's good is hard. And it's not something that I would say I enjoy. <laughs> right? And probably you don't either. But this, this suffering for doing what's good... This gives us a deep connection with the Savior, with our Lord Jesus Christ. He's, he came in and he did the he came into the world and did the ultimate good, and yet he suffered the ultimate evil, right? He suffered death. In fact, this is such a profound connection that Paul counts it. He says he counts it as joy to be worthy to suffer for Christ, for what's good and true. And I'm going to throw a Lord of the Rings reference in right at this moment. <laughs> because I went to Hobbiton and it's fresh on my mind. I said I would, I would ease up on these, but they're coming. Suffering for what's good. So if you know the story, if you don't, I'm sorry. But if you know the story, there's a point at which your hero, Frodo, is just tired of carrying the weight of evil, the one ring. And they've been through so much and it's so hard and so oppressive. And there's a point at which his friend, Samwise Gamgee, says, I got to believe that there's some good in this world. Or he doesn't even say, I got to believe. He just says, there's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for, right? That's the attitude that we're supposed to have as the Christians who uphold what is good, true, and beautiful, who believe in the truth. When we adhere to Paul's, or Peter, not Paul, when we hear to Peter's instruction for how to engage with people, we'll, we'll start to demonstrate to others that we really believe there's a real God to whom we're accountable to for how we engage with them. We'll begin to powerfully demonstrate the reality of God's love for every human being. So why is it so hard to engage with others? Why aren't we doing this all the time? There's a lot of reasons. I'll give you three that I've had experience with. One of that reason, the first reason it's so hard to engage with people is because we get into an us versus them mentality. Okay? I've often found Christians excusing themselves or ourselves, me too, with an us versus them mentality instead of thoughtfully engaging people around them. We have to not get drawn into those worldly drawn lines in the sand. God has made us one people. He made us humankind. So it's not us versus them. It's us and him. Reason number two why we're not engaging. People will say, well, you know, that's just not my personality. 
<laughs> I hear this a lot in the States. Eh, it's just not who I am. I hear you. <laughs> I'm actually an introvert. People don't believe me because I'm a public speaker, but a lot of public speakers are very introverted. We're not shy. We're just very introverted. We don't get like our energy from hanging out with a bunch of people. And sometimes I actually wish I was an extrovert, extrovert so that I was looking for people to talk to and who could energize me and engage me. I wish I didn't get tired from interactions with others, emotionally drained. But even with my high level of introversion, God still desires to use me to engage his creation. My husband sometimes laments that his extroversion is too bombastic and can push people away when he's just trying to exhort them. (laughs) But even with his bull in a china shop (laughs) tendencies, God still desires to use him too. The good news is that our engagement doesn't have to look the same. Mine doesn't have to look like yours. God wants a heart that desires to share truth and love people. He doesn't need just a certain personality type. So the third reason I think it's hard for us to engage, and this one's tough, um, is that we've stopped learning. In another talk that I give uh, on how to have better conversations, one of the points in the Why Do You Believe That study, one of the points I make is that we have to know what we believe if we want to get into good conversation with people. We've got to know what Christianity is. And the reason is because you don't tend to talk about things you're not comfortable with. Now, I say that realizing a lot of people talk about politics, <laughs> especially where I'm from in the southern United States. A lot of people talk about politics even when they don't have a lot of knowledge on it. But uh, generally speaking, we just don't talk about things we're uncomfortable with. And so remember what Peter says here. Part of setting apart Christ as Lord is that always being prepared, always being ready. So we're supposed to always be learning about what we believe and then be willing to, to discuss those hard issues with others. Or if we encounter something we don't know, we don't have an answer to, that's okay. We're human. We'll never have all the answers. So we just need to be willing to say, hey, I don't know that, but I, I'm willing to learn about that with you. So those are the reasons I think we, we aren't willing to engage sometimes. But I would be remiss before we move on out of this point, this characteristic of being engaging, to not mention that when you engage with others with whom you disagree, you could, it, that can have a profound friendship-making impact. The great uh, apologist and professor of literature, C.S. Lewis, stated that where we have a common question, we can have a friend. We need not have the same answer. So if we handle our engagements with gentleness and respect, we don't have to end up in a heated dispute that turns others away from us and maybe from away from the gospel. Rather, we can demonstrate, if we, if we handle our engagements with gentleness and respect, we can demonstrate an attribute of God. We can reflect that he is personal and engaging. When we are respectfully engaging, we reflect the reality of a personal creator who cares for and is involved with his creation. So part of reflecting the reality of God is to be thoughtful and part is to be engaged. Our last characteristic we'll look at today is to be trusting. So in in discussing a particular upcoming boxing match, the he- former heavyweight champion, Mike Tyson, 
Do you guys know Mike Tyson? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Mike Tyson was asked about his strategy in his fight, in this upcoming fight. I believe it was the, when he was fighting um, Evander Holyfield. And the interviewer questioned him, how would you approach the other boxer? What's your plan? Tyson responded with this. He said, everyone has a plan until they get hit in the face. (laughs) That's right. Much of the problem we have with demonstrating the reality of God in our lives is that whatever plans we've made generally get thrown out as soon as we're in the middle of an engagement with someone, right? Professor of communication Tim Muehlhoff says, we've all had experiences of leaving a conversation only to regret how we acted or what we said. And social media (laughs) and the developing climate of polarization, specifically I know in the States, maybe here as well, that aggravates that problem, especially social media. And, And you all know, you've seen with the recent issue with Israel Folau, it aggravates this problem. So 1 Peter 3.15 begins with, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Other translations say, Revere Christ as Lord. Sanctify Christ as Lord. Honor the Messiah as Lord. Any way you read this, you're called to overtly trust God as the Lord of your life. You see, the circumstances facing these Christians was not pleasant. It was not pleasant. They've probably felt that sting of Tyson's getting hit in the face. They were probably very familiar with that. They were uncomfortable. They were fearful. It had them worried about even testifying to their belief in Jesus Christ. But Peter tells them, rather than that fear, trust God as the Lord, as in charge, as sovereign. Trust that he's actually in charge, even of your daily life, even of those conversations. Revere, honor, sanctify, credit God with the trust he deserves. Rather than fearing men who question your belief, move your focus. Right? Peter's telling you, move your focus elsewhere to where it belongs. Your focus belongs on God. Right? And he proved to us he's trustworthy with what he did, dying on the cross for our sin and rising from the dead. He's proven he's trustworthy. He's not just leaving us. He's provided for us. He cares for us. He's, he's personal with us. So he is worthy of our trust. Our focus belongs on, on God, trusting him even in situations that feel polarizing, marginalizing, even isolating. Now, while that's a beautiful and noble concept, right? Hey, just trust in God. (laughs) It's really not easy. Uh, Loving people who adamantly disagree with you or insult you because of your belief in Jesus, that takes practice. It takes experience and it takes discipline. We have to discipline ourselves to trust God because it feels unnatural. Sometimes it feels very unnatural to us. Professor Muehlhoff notes that Christ himself cultivated disciplines or habits of engaging God that would allow Christ to engage the crowds with a sense of renewal. So when you read that Jesus pulled away, that he went to pray or that he pulled away from people, he's going to be alone with God so God can minister to him so that he's... Uh, he's filling himself up so that he can give back out. 
And a lot of times I think we forget. We got to be filled up to have something to give back out. And so we're trying to engage people in our own power with what we've got left over um, without ever having let God pour into us, right? And that's not a good place to be. So we've, that's how we build our trust in God. We have to let him pour into us. See, a typical reaction to a situation in which it, maybe somebody disagrees with you is that you get a defensive stance and your heart rate goes up and your face is flushed and your mind becomes ready to protect yourself. Christian philosopher Dallas Willard comments on why it's difficult to reason with some people. He says, their very mind has been taken over by one or more feelings and is made to defend and serve those feelings at all costs. Right? If you get in that situation, you're no longer ministering to others or trying to see truth or trying to help them discover truth. Instead, you're protecting your feelings. Even if you don't know you're doing it, you're getting defensive. Then your mind's energy is taken up with defending rather than ministering, communicating the gospel, trying to find truth with others. So it, takes, it actually takes practice and intentionality to trust God. Peter reminds us here to honor Christ by giving him the trust that is due. So our responsibility from what we've seen from 1 Peter 3 is threefold. We're to be thoughtful Christians, thoughtful in our preparation with what we believe. We're to be willing to engage with the people around us. Those people are asking us about why do you believe in God? Why do you say that? And we're to be people who trust in God with our very lives, with everything we have. I was returning on a uh, flight. I was returning home on a flight. And there was a gentleman sitting next to me who said he was a Buddhist. We had gotten into a conversation and I was asking, he asked me what I was and I said I was Christian. And, and he said, oh, I said, what are you? And he said, he's Buddhist. And so we got into a, a conversation. And I asked him, I began to ask him a lot of questions about what he believed and why because I didn't know a whole lot about Buddhism. So as we were talking, he mentioned some things like, well, Buddhists don't believe in right or wrong. Uh, Buddhists believe there just is. And he kept talking and he got into politics. <laughs> and he said, uh, the war in Iraq was wrong. And I, I looked at him and I said, whoa. <laughs> Can I ask you something about that? Has a Buddhist who doesn't believe in right or wrong believe that the war in Iraq was so wrong? And, I, and he kind of stopped talking <laughs> for the first time. <laughs> he looked at me. He said, I don't know. And we were back and forth and I challenged him like this on some things, right? And just, we had a great conversation. And as we were conversing, he gladly engaged with reasoning through his beliefs, um, conceding places where maybe he had some inconsistencies like that. At the end of our flight, as he was talking to me about what I believed, what he believed and all this, he said this to me. He said, I've never had a Christian talk to me like this before. And at first, I took that as a compliment. Yay, me. And then, oh, no, that's not a, no. <laughs> not a compliment. <laughs> I realized it implied he had spoken with so many other Christians who had not listened to him and engaged him thoughtfully, right? Being very personal with him. Demonstrating that they trusted God with him. So I understood he'd probably experienced similar things to what I had in Christianity. Uh, 
And this just should not be so. This is not the great story of Christians and Christianity. So as I mentioned at the start, I've come to the point where I understand that just because people don't live like Christianity is true doesn't mean that it isn't true. But I know people who've walked away from Christianity because of the poor reflection of God they saw in Christians. I've read their stories. I've talked to them personally myself. What they, what they were lacking was consistent indicators that Christians truly believed in the God they professed. You and I can do something about this. Now, I'm not calling you to perfection. We're, that would be unrealistic. We're all going to fail. Rather, <laughs> we have the opportunity, the opportunity to reflect the reality of a thoughtful, engaging, and trustworthy God. We just need to start somewhere. Perhaps we need to start with beginning to recognize where it is we've gone wrong or where we've failed in this endeavor. And maybe commit one of those wrong turns to turning it around. Because our world needs to see God. And they need to see him as real. And that's one of the wonderful responsibilities that you and I have been given while on this earth. We're the lights that are supposed to reflect the light. And we are the mirrors with which God has decorated this world to reflect his own character. So let me leave you with a question and then we'll pray together. What does your reflection say about God? Let's pray. Father, creator, author of life, giver of truth, we praise you because you are worthy. Thank you for giving us this life. It doesn't always look wonderful. It doesn't always look good or as a reflection of your own character. But Father, what you made was good. You told us that in Genesis 1. So thank you for life itself, lest we forget that that is a good gift. And Father, I thank you for this congregation here at Shore Community Church. I thank you for every one of the lives that you have brought here that are making an impact for the kingdom in their own way. Thank you for them, Father. Thank you for these beautiful souls that you have created with intention and purpose in life. Father, remind them of who they are, that they are your children. They were bought with a price. That you have given them a spirit of boldness, a spirit of power, not timidity nor fear. Thank you, Father, for reminding us through Peter that we aren't supposed to fear men. That's not our role. Our role as your children is to be great light, piercing the darkness of our communities. And great love, reflecting your character to people with patience, goodness, trust. So, Father, I pray for a boldness for this congregation that we know that when you give us a teaching or when you, t- when you speak through us through the scripture, to us through the scripture, 
that you have a reason for that, that you intend to use it. So I pray that you would use this congregation boldly. It, it appears they already are, and we've seen evidence of that this morning. So Father, just continue to protect them, to comfort them, to encourage them, and to give them that spirit of power from you. That power of love, that unconditional radical love that they can take out into their community that people are so hungry to see. I pray that you would encourage this congregation to take that out into their communities. And, but to first show it amongst each other. To love one another greatly and sacrificially. So that others can see that unity, that love, and want to be a part of that kind of family. And just thank you for them, Father. Thank you for their lives. Thank you for these individual souls. Remind them, again, remind them of the beauty that they possess as being a child of God. And Father, thank you for what you did through Jesus Christ. Where we, had, where we were bringing evil into the world and, and destroying everything with that, you took on the consequence of our evil. And where there was only death, you gave us life. And Father, if there's anyone here who doesn't know that life, who doesn't have that relationship with you by trusting in you for Lord and Savior, I pray they would consider that today. Because we're not just talking about a get out of jail free card and with going to heaven. We're talking about having life at all in this life now. Giving us back redemption and love and beauty and goodness and truth where, there was, where there's death and destruction and... and falsity, and perversion of truth. I pray for those who are here who are considering you, that they would consider trusting you because you are worthy and you showed it to us by giving us life where there was death, by dying on the cross and then gloriously resurrecting from the dead. Thank you for that, Father. Thank you for showing us great love. Thank you for showing us how we were supposed to live we give you all the praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415-0455 Thank you for listening.